My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out that humans are the only animals that blush. Aw. <laughs> you're just, you're making me, <laughs> you know. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. I think you guys know that by now, right? Today, we are going to cover the entire Central Coast AVA. And I can't do it myself, so I had to bring somebody in. So let's talk to an expert, like an expert. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Denner Vineyards. The Central Coast is famous for its quote-unquote Rhone Raiders of the 1980s, a time when winemakers brought native Rhone Valley varieties to California with the hope that they would thrive. Spoiler alert, it worked. And this wine is a perfect example of that philosophy. It's like a smoldering campfire in the mountains. Warm, peppery, cozy. Feel it? So as we continue our American wine AVA block, we have to talk about the Central Coast because it is a huge piece of land with so many different climates and different geographies. You can't just wrap your head around it. Well, actually, you know what? Matt Steele can because he is the director of Central Coast winemaking for E&J Gallo Winery, the entire Central Coast. So... If I want to talk to anybody about this place, he's the one to talk to. And we're going to talk to him not only about just the, the wine happening all over, but what it's like to be there, what it's like to visit there. How do you wrap your head around enjoying all of it? Matt Steele, let's have a chat. Matt, thank you so much for coming on to Wine 101 and really kind of helping us understand this thing called the Central Coast. And I, I know everyone loves it but it's so massive that we have to kind of like hone in and understand what exactly this is. And from what I understand, you are kind of an expert in the Central Coast. Could you describe your position at Gallo? Yeah, Keith. And look, thanks so much for having me on board. This is actually a bit of a thrill. I, I spent a lot of time driving up and down the Central Coast and listening to the uh, Vine Pair podcast. So um, I'm pretty thrilled to be on it. Awesome. But yeah. The, the role that I have is, is Director of Winemaking for E&J Gallo for the Central Coast. So everything that we make in the wineries that we have in this region, such as Talbot, of course, Dinner um, here in Paso Robles, um, and then the language Yes, who I get to play with uh, Randall Graham on his wines. Oh, that's awesome. um, so I get to travel all up and down the Central Coast, essentially from the Bay Area, uh, just around San Jose, all the way south to Santa Barbara. Um, and there's three main counties in that. So Monterey County, San Luis Obispo County and Santa Barbara County, where the majority of the grapes are grown and, and we source a lot of fruit from. So when's the, where's the northern tip of the uh, of Central Coast, you said? Yeah, so the, the AVA will actually um, head all the way up into Livermore, but we don't really work out of there. We're, we really focus on Monterey County, um, San Luis Obispo County and, and then uh, Santa Barbara to the south. And in uh, Monterey, we really work up at Talbot, um, Salinas being the sort of northernmost. Apart from a tiny little fruit we get from Randall Graham for his project that he actually grows himself 
in San Juan Batista um, in his own little vineyard there. Of course he does. That's, all, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So the Central Coast is this large swath of land from Santa Barbara all the way going north towards Monterey and just a little bit north of Monterey. Yeah. So to wrap my head around this, this is a this is an AVA. This is the it Central is Coast. Indeed. And within the Central Coast AVA, there are multiple AVAs over multiple different geographies. So how does this work? Is it so how many how many AVA sub-AVAs are actually in the Central Coast AVA? Well, that is a damn fine question. <laughs> no, you can make up a number. <laughs> I'm not going to have a number because then I'll be held to that and it's going to be wrong. But <laughs> the, key, the key AVAs that we work within, uh, San Lucia Highlands, um, Paso Robles, and, and within Paso Robles there are 11 sub-AVAs within that, but we're specifically um, operating in, in Dennis' case out of Willow Creek and Adelaida. And then um, heading down to San Luis Obispo or southern San Luis Obispo County where Edna Valley AVA and the Slow Coast AVA where we get a bit of fruit out of. And then in Santa Maria Valley, its own AVA, where we've got a couple of great vineyards. And we even source out of the Santa Rita Hills um, as well for some, even for dinner for our dirt worshiper wine. So um, there are many more AVAs that, that exist. Right. Some of them are teeny tiny, but um, they're the main ones that we work within. That's cool. I just wanted to get a sense of, I just, I mean, the number is not as important as like just the sheer yeah. amount of wine regions you work with, which is just. <laughs> Amazing. Enormous diversity. And, and the things that excite me the most um, around diversity is first and foremost, coastal influence. So whether we're in Monterey and northern Monterey, so the San, Lu San Lucia Highlands, where the proximity to the sort of the Great Canyon um, sitting out there in Monterey Bay and the cool air that blows in every single day, that greatly influences the varieties that we grow and how we grow them. So Chardonnay and Pinot Noir up there. Down here um, in Paso Robles, we're actually protected um, from the ocean uh, and um, by the mountain range to our west that affords a more continental climate, even though as the crow flies, we're probably only 20, 25 miles from the ocean. Interesting. But there's a there's a block to the ocean, so it's warm um, and it's more of a continental climate and famously Rhone varieties and Cabernet Sauvignon have found a great home here, particularly with the calcareous soils on the, on the west side of Paso Robles. But there's great um, vineyards that grow all the way east to Shandon. Um, so there's some really um, significant plantings here in in, San, in in Paso Robles. And then down south, Santa Maria Valley, again, you're, you've got the opening to the coast and there in Santa Rita Hills where you're 33 degrees north of the equator. So when you think about cool climates and, and classic cool climates for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, you're thinking more degrees of latitude like 39 or, or 45 degrees north even when you're thinking of European climes. And we're at 33 degrees north, so we've got great intensity of sunlight, but we have these really cool conditions because of the proximity to the Pacific Ocean. So it's, it's really a fascinating place where the variability, the proximity to the ocean, the elevation really gives us so many different places to grow some really cool grapes. Yeah, especially like, you know, you look at the thing about like Santa Barbara, where they had that fog influence for both the Santa Maria yep. Valley and then south in the Santa Inez and their subappellations. And then you, you go north and it's wind and it's the fog and it... This wind and fog thing all across the coastline is so cool, and the Central Coast gets to enjoy all of that amazing climate. And it's it's so wild how it changes up and down the coast, but the influence is always going to be there. So with that being said, 
and this is another crazy question that I don't, just don't worry about it, but like the varieties that are being celebrated in these areas, you don't have to go into every AVA, but I'm just like in general, as we go from North to South or South to North or whatever, does the variety change that thrives or is it like, this is really good for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir here, 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 here. So really great question. And, and I would say I've got sort of two responses with respect to that. And the first one is I think the well-established and understood uh, paradigm that exists is the closer the coast, the cooler you're going to be. So varieties like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are well-established. So when you look at northern Monterey County, Salinas and, and the San Lucia Highlands, yes, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir absolutely thrive there. When you go down to San Luis Obispo County, the southern parts of that, so the Slow Coast AVA and Edna Valley itself, and then the Santa Maria Valley and, and um, indeed the Santa Rita Hills, this proximity to the coast means that Chardonnay and Pinot Noir really dominate there. When you are removed from the coast and it's a lot hotter, that's where the exploration of Rhone varieties particularly Syrah-based, but Grenache also thrives here in, in Paso Robles, and Cabernet Sauvignon are more traditional. Now, that's the sort of the standard response, but what's happening here as well is there's continued exploration. We are a young region. Um, you know, we're young in a global sense, but we're also young and, and continuing to explore new AVAs. The Slow Coast was only established as an AVA, I think it was less than two years ago. Um, and so we're still working on what are the best varieties to grow here? And then with people like Randall, who have been working here for over 40 years and continue to have curiosity and intrigue and interest in what is the next variety and what's more suited to our growing conditions. And so we're working with Randall, for example, with varieties like Cinso as a lead variety in a red blend. Tiburon, this obscure variety out of Provence that is used to make wonderfully light whites, but also, uh, a big pardon, reds, but also a wonderful rosé or pink wine as, as randall prefers to call it <laughs> so we're i think there's people not just us exploring what are the edges or the new places that we can find and the varieties that work there and and maybe it's alborino or Vadeo and you know these other cool varieties that we can play with this is this is the most consistent conversation i've had i'm currently doing on wine one and one we're doing this a block of american avas one thing I love, I mean, I got my listeners are just like, Keith, can you not, can you just not tell us this story anymore? But I, in 2019, I was in Paso Robles and it blew my mind. And I exactly, mm -hmm. what you're telling me right now is exactly what I experienced. And I was like, wait, so this is really exciting. I love that, you know, we are a young drinking culture, of course, and this explore exploration is so Awesome, because we know that sh the Chardonnay and we know that Pinot Noir can thrive in these areas and make beautiful wines like Santa Barbara. Wow, wonderful stuff. Then, you know, with Paso Robles, with the Rome varieties, forget about it, whether it's Mavedra, whether it's, you know, you know, Syrah, Grenache, the acidity in Paso Robles is ridiculous. So, like, even those heavy wines have these wonderful, wonderful, you know, acidity. They're, 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 they're not weighing you down completely. But there's also crazy cool stuff like with Randall, with what he's doing. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to listen to the soil and see what else works here. That's very exciting. This is all happening in a place, you know, the history of this place is basically what you're like, you know, the, the, the Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay is kind of a, not, not a newcomer, but you know, it's kind of like we've, they've been focused on, you know, from the eighties, I guess, maybe the seven, I know you'll, you'll mm -hmm. tell me, but like these old varieties that have been there for so long, just like, Hey, what about me? It's so cool. They're being worked with now. Well, this, this is where I am 
going to stick to the things that I do know. So Tepescay Canyon in the Santa Maria Valley, planted in the late 60s and planted with Wente derivatives. So the Wente family in Livermore, again, part of the Central Coast, but, you know, that's the heritage of American Chardonnay. Right. Um, and it's twenty based derivatives that really predominate across across our industry. But yeah, Tepescay Canyon, um, the establishment of a vineyard there inspired. So, for example, Jack Niven, who founded Edna Valley in 1973, when all in planted 500 acres with 13 different varieties because of what he had learned as an investor in the Tepescay Canyon um, development. So, Chardonnay's always been a part of it. Pinot's also also always been a part of it. Um, and so that's where a lot of the heritage is. And I've got to say, there's also excitement around it too, because there's a diversity of styles of Chardonnay and Pinot. And, and Cami Knutson, our winemaker at Talbot, um, who's been working in Monterey County for more than 15 years, she's now really exploring. We've got eight different clones of Chardonnay and eight di- different clones of, of Pinot at, at Talbot on our Sleepy Hollow Vineyard. She's pulling them apart, picking them at different stages, different levels of acidity, trying to find when they're most energetic and vibrant and, and find different expressions off this benchmark vineyard that we that we have. So, you know, there's there's continued exploration, even with the traditional varieties that that we are exploring. I really, I had a chance to visit her on her first day. <laughs> it wasn't her first Always day. Year, yes. <laughs> it wasn't her first day, but it was like, you know, <laughs> the thing, it was it was kind of her first month or whatever. And we were, the excitement there was palpable. It was, yeah. it was amazing. She was like, I am... I, it was very exciting to see her energy and what she wants to bring to to Talbot up there. So let's talk about what you do, what you're doing in Paso Robles. What's what's what is what is dinner? So I got to say, dinner's for for those who are in the know. Dinner's something that is well known to people who are absolutely in love with Rhone varieties and and the exciting things that that Paso Robles is capable of. Um, but I also like to think it's it's actually a well hidden secret. Um, and well guarded, you know, for, for those of us who who enjoy the lifestyle that we have in the Central Coast, where if you catch that one traffic light, it ruins your day sort of thing. You know, we <laughs> like to great. keep things nice and quiet, um, but it is it is a well guarded secret. And, and you know, the history goes back to Ron Denner, um, who established himself here um, after being a very successful businessman um, in, uh, of all things, ditch digging. Um, and there's a great story there, and, and it's the name the name of our arguably most famous wine. Oh, but yeah. Okay, that makes here, sense. I just put that together. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, look, there's a, there's a big, long story, and I will quickly tell you that story. Ron sure. tells it much better on our website, but essentially when Ron was a young lad and perhaps not applying himself as he should have, his dad told him in no uncertain terms, you'll never grow up to be anything but a ditch digger, in other words, a manual labourer, you know. Oh so Ron took that as inspiration to apply himself. He eventually graduated top of his class from USC and got into business and ended up owning the franchises for the ditch diggers, um, <laughs> basically the Mountain West of, you know, um, you know Idaho and South and, and yeah. around a little bit east of here and was very successful with that and, and actually bought land in uh, 97 in Willow Creek District and initially just wanted to plant a vineyard and he worked with Justin Smith on getting some guidance on how to set that up so from Saxon um, and then started playing with hey I've got a vineyard I'll make some wines and and you know as as is often the case um, that leads to a somewhat of a passion and and a real sort of chase and so Ron got very serious and and built himself a winery and and eventually, um, 
after uh, a number of years, had Anthony Yont, our current winemaker, join in 2009. Anthony had already worked there and then gone and done some travelling, but came back as the winemaker in 2009. And the wine that, that started this story, Ditch Digger, is really the best expression of our Rhone blend, our Grenache-based blend, off the estate. So we've got at Willow Creek, the original estate, there's about 120 acres um, planted. We've got 23 different varieties uh, between that estate vineyard and our younger vineyard in Adelaide, um, which is uh, basically due west of the town of Passarables, a bit north of where we are in Willow Creek. So we have these this wonderful reputation based on the Rhone um, blends that we have. Right. So there's the ditch digger and exploration of our estate expression um, essentially a Grenache-based Rhone blend. But then, excitingly, um, the Dirt Worshipper, which, um, you know, no one has a favourite wine amongst their, you know, as a winemaker. I'm sure Anthony um, shares his love of all the wines that he makes. But this this wine takes the, the concept of exploration even further. So our, um, or the approach to this wine is to look at the different influence of place and therefore dirt, if you will, on the expression of Syrah. And so this is a wine that starts with the core of our state Syrah, and then Anthony explores all the way down to Lompoc. So we're talking coastal, cool, very much, you know, fog influence, wind influence, um, a, a zone where you actually struggle to get Syrah right, but it gives you a really exciting peppery Syrah. So he, he's, he goes down to Lompoc, he goes out to Cambria on the coast just west of Paso Robles, um, even down on the edge of Avila, there's a vineyard there called Spanish Springs, which um, is a very exciting vineyard, probably the closest vineyard to the coast that I've worked with. It's only about three or four miles from the coast, just north of Avila. Um, so he has these different expressions, these more energetic, racy expressions of Syrah that come in and, and give this central coast appellated blend. Um, so, you know, two very strong Rhone wines that, that really are the benchmarks for Denner. The, the, the third big wine for us is the Mother of Exiles. And for those who are American history buffs, um, not even history, but but just understand, you know, the the um, the Statue of Liberty and the poem inscribed at the base of that oh. refers to the Statue of Liberty as the Mother of Exiles. And, and this is our Cabernet-based blend. Love it. So, you know, three big, not necessarily big, but very bright, expressive wines um, out of Paso Robles or the Central Coast in the case of the Dirt Worshipper. I love this, you know, the, the thing about Syrah and especially in the Lompoc and that, that whole area, as you move east, Syrah changes. It's pretty amazing. Just in one, in the Santa Ynez Valley alone, this, the, the, the Syrah changes as you get east towards the canyons. It's just like, it's really a wild sort of sense of place study in oh, nature and Syrah. You don't have to go. So you start on 246 out by the coast and, you know, you can blow a dog off a chain every afternoon because of the winds and it's super foggy in the morning and you you, you struggle to get anything right. Um, Brian Babcock, who, who's right next door to Melville there, he runs his own little winery and he, he's tried to work out a way to protect his vines from the wind, even even at that close to Bulton. So Syrah barely ripens. You only move about another 20 miles further east at the start of the Happy Canyon and it's like you're in Paso again. That's it's crazy. super warm, Cabernet ripens and, you know, it's, it's also – pretty challenging hilly country as well. So you can get some really high sun exposed aspects, you know, the south facing, or you can choose to be more north facing um, and have a cooler site in a warm uh, zone as well there. So it is pretty exciting. But that 
kind of change expresses itself differently right throughout the Central Coast. So has dinner always been um, a kind of a study in Rhone varieties? Is that kind of the, the, that's been the ethos? Indeed. So in terms of the, the main wines that we make, the, the two big Rhone variety wines, the, the um, Grenache-based uh, Ditch Digger and the Syrah-based Dirt Worshipper, absolutely. We've also got um, a series of wines that we'll make from year to year that may be Mavedra-based or Carignan-based mm-hmm. that are only available to our club members. And, and it's only when Anthony feels we've got the best expression of that variety off our estate that year. Otherwise, the, the Carignan and, and Muvedra will go into the the ditch digger or, or perhaps the dirt worshiper. Um, we do release a, a Grenache, a varietal Grenache each year, um, which is a slightly different expression. You know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily pure Grenache, but it's, it's a brighter, um, juicier expression of, of Grenache, whereas the, the ditch digger's patch is a bit more gravelly and, and got a bit more complexity because of the other varieties that are in it. So this, what's you know, we're talking about how everything changes as we move north or south. Is so when you're, if someone's visiting the Central Coast, I mean, is there a Central Coast wine trail or is it just the 101? <laughs> uh, I, I think you know it's the 101. I okay. like to think of the 101 as like the N74 when you're in Burgundy and you look to your as you head south, you look to your right and you see the hills whether you're in the Santa Lucia Highlands or you come through Paso, you look to your right and that's the west side and you can actually see some of the higher vineyards. And um, and indeed, as you continue south um, into um, Santa Maria Valley, well, then it's actually you've got to look to your left there because as you head on the 101 towards Los Alamos and, and um, up over that little grade. So, yeah, that's the wine route I would take. And it's not just about the wine as well. The food scene here is absolutely sensational. Um, we are privileged to to be, particularly here in Paso, that it's an exploding food scene with some great restaurateurs that are coming here and applying very much a farm-to-table um, approach, but it's also with a Paso sensibility. Um, and, and so, you know, there's there's a, a it's not as formal as you might have in other wine regions, and, and it's certainly, certainly more attainable. Um, we've got some great food. Like, I, I love going to Los Alamos, I just mentioned it. Um, which is in Santa Barbara County. It's it's um, a great little town that's got some just tremendous restaurants. A cool little the Skyview Motel sits above, you know, just on the 101. There, it's a funky little place to visit and stay. So there's lots of different things to to you could spend plenty of time here, um, you know, days or a week or more exploring and still think, oh, I've got to come back and do more of the west side of Paso or more of um, go down to the funk zone in Santa Barbara itself. And check out the little, you know, the garageist wineries and the food scene there. Pally Wine Co. over there in the funk in that in that in that little funk. What is it called? That little funk village in the, Santa Barbara. The funk zone. Yeah, they're doing yeah. great stuff there, man. I am yeah. just that's that's good stuff. I, I I love I love that. So this is it, see this is what's exciting. You the I mean California is just an amazing source of of food and produce and everything farm to table. And it's not just in the places that everybody knows, which is very cool. And, you know, it's really nice. The, the whole sort of like laid back bop around style of going from region to region and hitting the towns and going like, for example, in Paso Robles, go to the, is it called the Hatch? Which is yes, just yep. amazing. Maybe do some country karaoke at the, is it the Pine Lodge or the, the um, Pine Street Saloon. Yeah, the Pine Street Saloon, which is just yeah. great, you know. And then you keep on going a little bit north, and you hit the Santa Lucia Highlands. That's like you know, 
that's Steinbeck land, you know, where, where that all happened. And you can go to Carmel by the sea, which has some of the most, it has the Talbot tasting room there. And some of the most amazing views of like the sea and those beautiful architecture and homes there. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. And what's really great about that is as you bop around, there's wine everywhere, there's food everywhere. And the people are just like, Hey, thank you so much for visiting. This is so great. And that's what I think we, as a culture, that's our next thing. You know, we have like you and the people I've been talking to, I see you guys as the next generation of winemakers in America and where we're going to the future. And I think this path we're on Dick, it's like, yes, we, we can actually, and what's really exciting is like, there's so much going on guys. You got to get out there and check it out. You got to get in a car, you got to fly there, get in a car, figure out your route and just go up the one-on-one and just get off exits and, and check it out. I like the idea because, you know, with smaller wine regions we're talking about, it's like, yeah, please come here, like to Temecula, come here and check it out for a couple days. But with the central coast, you could, like you said, an entire week, that's a pretty cool idea for a trip, you know, for a wine trip to do an entire week you know, in, in this area. And see so many different things. Um, you know, I, one, one thing that blows me away every single day, I live um, in San Luis Obispo. Um, so it's essentially a coastal town. It's not on the coast, but it's influenced by the coast. I work in Paso Robles, um, or at least I'm based here because I might be at Talbot. I might be down with Randall and I'm, I'll be at Rancho Real Vineyard in Santa Maria on Friday morning with Randall. But so I'm up and down the coast, but it'll be about 104 degrees here today. Um, in Paso Robles, and at 5.30, I'll go down the Cuesta grade. So I'll go from 1,500 feet of elevation down to about, you know, 250 in San Luis Obispo, and it will drop down to maybe 72, 71 degrees. That 30-degree differential, um, you know, it, it makes a huge difference to when you think about the heat that vines need. So, you know, we've got a completely different climatic zone. over That, that grade is only four or five miles, that, that elevation drop. So we've got these dramatically different zones that we can work within. So there's so much variety. You can go for big, bold reds, really racy, vibrant, energetic, whites or, or even reds as well, depending on the proximity of the coast and, and the approach that people take. I just realized something. Not only can you run around the central coast and experience all these things, but you can actually experience the, the, the climate and how it changes. And as you're experiencing the climate and just think, okay, the vines are here. Like everywhere yep. you go, if you go down or up elevation when you're driving or when you're walking or visiting, like, okay, it's cool here. Okay, this is why. This is why we do grapes here because of this. And it's just, it's actually, you know, being, having been there, it's so apparent when you're there. You just kind of feel it. It's, 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 an, it's amazing. So it's kind of cool. Not only you're doing the Central Coast AVA tour, let's say, but you're also experiencing wine, food, but then you got like the climb. You're like, oh, I get it. This is so cool. And you're like basically embraced by the whole aspect of wine, just traveling up and down. So what, this is another one of these sort of tricky questions. What's the future of this? I mean, again, huge, <laughs> but like the future of this place, it sounds to me like we're going to keep doing the great things that we do with varieties that we all know, and we're going to make beautiful wine from that but we're also going to explore and kind of push the envelope and see what the soil wants in the future. Is that kind of the future of the central coast in general? Yeah, look, I actually see two answers to this and, and I'll, I'll tip my hat to those who helped pioneer the place like the Ebelis up here in Paso or even Justin Baldwin at Justin or even Ron at, at Denner and, and Saxon. Right. Our older vineyards now 
are at the stage where we're actually starting to renew. So we, over the course of the next 15 years, it's going to take us to renew the estate vineyards at Denner, particularly the Willow Creek estate. So we're going to reinvest back into these wonderful vineyards with perhaps new, same varieties, perhaps newer clones of it or better rootstocks with greater understanding of what we need to do to make that vineyard right. You know, when Ron planted it back in 97, there was a certain approach to things and, and, and you know, it was perhaps a little more agricultural. There's a lot more precision now that we apply to how we consider the balance of the vine that we're doing, how we're going to water it, all these sorts of things. So we're going to apply the latest technology to these heritage or, or you know, the existing core of what we do. We've been doing that at, at um, Sleepy Hollow Vineyard since 2015. We've replanted 400 of the 565 acres so that we can put in the best cultivars on the best rootstocks and, you know, bring the spacing in closer so we're going to get higher quality. So that's one aspect of what we're doing. And then another aspect, and this is the one I actually find super exciting, is working with Randall um, and his vision for what are the edges, how far can we push things, where do we need to go? And Randall's seeking to challenge us on how do we grow the grapes, but what grapes do we grow and and how far can we push the climatic boundaries that we believe exist? Cool. So that's a, that's an additional um, exploration that we might know may not know those results for years, decades yeah. on those sort yeah. of explorations. And Randall's an example of who I'm working intimately with on that, but there are others um, here in the coast, uh, right throughout the central coast, that are doing that same sort of exploration. What are the new cultivars that we can plant? Where can we plant them? How do we explore them? So there's, it's, it still feels like this young, energetic, vibrant place. You know, it's really exciting about what you said. I mean, I'm, I'm very, you know, excited about the new stuff. Who isn't, you know, with Randall's doing and all that. But what I just, what you, something that popped up in, when you were saying, I was like, you know what? Also, the stuff you already have and working with that and tweaking it and trying to find the best clones of the thing that works there. That never really crossed my mind as the future of a wine region. You know, I'm always thinking this is America. We always push forward. We always, we always do different things, but we also have things that we have already and we can actually refine those things while pushing those other things. And it seems like the Central Coast is on that vibe. Yep. And, and it's, uh, look, it's never rest in that sense. And I would, I would suggest that um, our pursuit is continuous. You know, it's, it's how do we make this wine, this harvest better right. or as best as it can be. Um, and then what do we learn from that for future? Because, you know, a vineyard investment is 40 plus years and you want to make sure it's at least 40 years. You want to make sure that you're making really good decisions, but you don't always get them right. So you, when you get the chance to redo it, you, you want to focus on that. And and so, you know, I, I think that's really important. Um, and we're starting to see that, you know, there's, there's some new planning, some renewal planning's going on. Um, and that's super exciting. Wow. Well, Matt, I think, we just figured out the central coast together. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. This has been great because, you know, we, as Americans, we have certain ideas about wine and where things are, but we don't, we, we drink wine sometimes. We don't know where these things come from. So it was really great to talk to you about this. And, you know, so the listeners get a sense of what is actually going on here and how exciting it is and who, what to keep an eye on. And especially like places like dinner and, and Randall and on all that. It's very exciting. So thanks so much for taking the time, man. I mean, you're busy. Uh, so. No, no, this was an absolute pleasure. And, and thank you for, for fitting me in because, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be able to have this chat about you and, 
and hope that uh, we've helped some people discover the Central Coast and places like Denner and the language of Yes and Talbot so they can you know, add that to their little bit of curiosity that they can explore themselves. You have. You have, sir. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, man. No worries. Thank you. I don't know about you, but driving up and down the 101, like most of the coastline of California, bopping around, staying at places, visiting AVAs, enjoying different varieties, the old school, the new school. I mean, that's an amazing American wine experience. I think Matt Steele really kind of put everything into perspective there, guys. So next week, we get a little science-y. See you then. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. EMJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pears Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.